0: Hashem Welcome to our Wednesday night Shir. We are dedicating this Shir to Liba Basfruma. The Mishnah tells us, and I told her today as well. From all my people, from all the things that I've studied, I learned. And I became knowledgeable. But from my students, I've learned more than anything else. (coughs) Now this doesn't necessarily have to mean a student that we teach. The person's life goal has to be person's life goal has to be to constantly be learning. A person cannot be satisfied with what they know. A person has to constantly be learning, searching, looking to grow. And a typical example of how this works is whenever we go out, wherever it may be, whomever we may speak to, the Divine Providence has it as such that a person spoke to that person, then the person needs to figure out what did I learn from this conversation? And oftentimes people come to me, they, speak some, they discuss something with me. Well, if someone asks a question or, asks, or wants to discuss a problem or an issue. I learn from the books that I've learned and from the stories that I've been told as a child. I have to figure out, I have to see why did this story come to me? Why did this situation, why was this question asked to me? And how do I how does it affect me directly? The Mishnah tells us in Pirkei Avais, Ezehu Ashir HaSameach Who is wealthy? The person that is happy with his lot. A person that says, I am satisfied with my situation. A person that says that I don't have necessarily everything I need, whether it be money, whether it be intelligence, whether it be health. But since this was imposed upon me from God, Since God gave this to me, whatever it might be, I must strive to smile and to be happy with what's going on around me. I must say that in my daily life I obviously try to live up to that. It's easier said than done. But when you come to a person, <coughs> sorry, who is resigned to a fact, and they are, they have forsaken any hope, they have forsaken any light. And they go, God forbid, into depression from it. And they say, I can't. I can't anymore. I can't study. I don't understand what I'm studying. I can't learn because I don't understand what, what's being taught to me. I can't go on because my predicament, financial health, or whatever it might be, is too much for me. You would say, I nebuch." Look at this poor person. Look what they must be going through. But when you meet a person that says, I have lived, I have done, I am surrounded by those that love me. And that person radiates happiness That person, the shine of joy, are two pillars of beams coming out of the person's eyes. And everyone entering the room doesn't say, I, look at this poor person. But rather they say, oh, hi. And they have a cheery thing to say and they say and they don't mind making a joke in front of the person because they know the person would appreciate it. This is true love for Hashem. This is truly how a person shows how they love God. In that they are an acceptance to what goes on around them. (laughs) We need to deal sometimes with a predicament with something that happens. They tell a the story of Izzy in London. He had a restaurant, and at the end of the year, the VAT the VAT came to audit him to look at his numbers that he produced and the man says to him, "I'm in shock, according to your report for your annual annual report." You write you earned $250,000 this year in the restaurant. And he says, Yes, that is true. He says, Please understand me. I'm a workaholic. And I work very, very hard. And We're open almost every day, and we have the whole family involved, and yes, that's how the store, the business, earned $250,000. Well, that doesn't bother me, he says. What I don't understand is it says here also that you had $80,000 in travel expenses on the business. You went to France. You went to Israel. You went to New York. You went to California. You have a restaurant, sir. How can you say that you have a vacation trip to Israel, to New York, to California, and claim that as a business expense? Ah, ha ha! Izzy smiles and says, "Oh." Don't you see on the bottom of my advertisement it says, We deliver? Those weren't trips, they were deliveries. Everyone finds an answer for what they have, for what they are doing. Everyone has an answer why my situation is the way it is. Why my predicament is the way it is. We begin this week's Pasha, Pasha's Vallero. And in Pasha's Vallero, it tells us that Abraham, our father Abraham, was sitting in front of his tent... And he was in pain on the third day after his circumcision. And Hashem came to visit him. Hashem comes to visit him. And as Hashem is talking to him, he sees three passerbys. And he stands up and says, Excuse me, Hashem, excuse me, God. I need to go greet my guests. The Torah tells us that from here we learn a lesson. Hospitality, greeting guests, is even greater than than greeting God. And the proof is that Abraham was discussing, was talking, was in conversation with God. He excused himself and he went to greet his guests instead. honestly, folks, how many people are having a conversation with God and they get up to go greet a guest? Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, the same Torah portion teaches us that God comes again to Abraham and tells him, please take your son... To, and bring him on an altar. And the story ensues. God asked Abraham asked God, Which son I have to have? Isaac and Yishmael. Yitzchak and Yishmael. And God said, The one you love. He said, I love them both. Versus your only son. He said, each one is an only son from my wives. Should I have to let you love. And finally God says, I am referring to your son Yitzchak. I want you to take 37 year old Yitzchak. I want you to take him and bring him up on an altar. I want you to bring him on a mezbeach. I want to, you to turn him into a sacrifice to me. How strange! How strange could this be? God is asking Abraham to take his only son and to bring him as a sacrifice. Allow us to enlighten you in the history. Abraham was 99 years old and his wife Sarah and himself had no children. But yet, he has a bris at 99 years old, and is blessed with a son, Yitzchak. And God says that this Yitzchak, which means to laugh, why will he laugh? He will laugh at all those kafirs, and all the people that said, Abraham, you worked so hard on bringing godliness into the world. But you have no one to continue your work. And they laughed at Abraham. They laughed at Sarah. Until Yitzchak came to light. Until the son Yitzchak, who was able to now continue his father's holy message, his father's holy mission, as Yitzchak now enters the world, Yitzchak is the one that will laugh, that will mock the world, and say, I will continue what my father wants me to do. I will continue to bring the light of God into the world. I will continue to study the Torah. I will continue to do the mitzvahs. And now all of a sudden, God says, take that child and bring him as a sacrifice. Tie him to the altar and slaughter him like an animal. How strange could this be? This was the tenth test. That God put Abraham through. Abraham was tested with ten different tests to see about his loyalty, his faithfulness to God. How devoted is he really to the Word of God? This was the tenth of the tests. And the Talmud tells us, For those of you keeping score at home, the tractate Sanhedrin peites Amitbez 82, 89 side 2. And the Gemara tells us that the fact that God told Abraham Kach no es bin ha, please take your child a form of a request shows us that God meant to say the following. Nisisi cho be The Umad to be Kulon, says the Yamada. I have tested you with several ways, and you overcame each one. Says the Almighty to Abraham Amadli, stand up for me. Binisoyo in the Zah with this test. That no one should say, "Ein mamash that the first ones were nothing. In other words, let us scrutinize what the Gemara is saying. If God forbid, Abraham would not have succeeded on this tenth test his other nine tests would have been for naught, would have been for nothing. How could that possibly be? How is it possible that nine severe tests that Abraham has proven himself as a faithful follower of God would be made to naught, would be put to nothing if he would not overcome this tenth test? What could it possibly mean? That the self-sacrifice, the abnegation, is not so much by the other tests as it was by the Akedah, where Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son. Still in all, why does that make nothing Of the first nine tests. Mm
1: -hmm. Why does
0: that make the first nine tests as if they never happened? Another thing the test of the Akeda was quite a severe test. The other nine tests that he was put to, subjected to, were hard, were difficult things. And he proved himself as a loyal, faithful follower of God. But this test to bring the only child that he was blessed with, to take the child that was meant to follow up in his ways, to take the child that was ultimately going to be the one, his successor, and will continue godliness in the world, and to sacrifice him, so that there will be nothing left of all his work, His life work will be put to rest. This is a much harder test than the others. In general, this entire episode, which the Torah tells us about the Akedah, of the bringing of Isaac onto the altar, Yitzchak onto the altar... Kokarin Yisraal Uzkusum Lifneaviem Shabashamayim Villachin he Sh Gura Bifinu Butilasinu Kalayim. This chapter is a cornerstone and a merit for us in front of God. And therefore, each day in our morning prayers, (coughs) we read, we recite this entire chapter of the bringing of Isaac, of Yitzchak, to the Akedah. So we have therefore the question. I personally had a little bit of a quandary on Tisha the day that we mourn the destruction of the two temples, at night we read a Megillah called Eicha, and by day there's a pamphlet called Kinos, lamenting. And there are many things that we lament over for the course of the thousands of years that the Jews have been subjugated and punished and put through trials and tribulations. However, these are things that happened in the time of the temple and with the time of the destruction of the temple, etc. The rebbe's of today's generation, the Babava, the Nitra, etc., took the liberty to compose liturgies, to compose these same types of lamentations. But instead of talking about the time of the temple, in time of the Inquisition, which was thousands of years ago, They wrote about the common day era destruction. The destruction and the death of the six million Jews. And they write very eloquently many different paragraphs. In the same format as the previous sages have written, the previous generations have composed Discussing the destruction of the temples. In that same format they write about the destruction of the Jewish nation. Where over 6 million Jews were killed. I find on that I read through those chapters. And it's so much closer to home. And I find therefore... The lamenting of Tisha B'Av is so much more sincere and severe when I read about these six million Jews that were killed. So the question therefore becomes why talk about the sacrifice, the abnegation of Abraham, where he had to try to, where he was told to bring up Isaac Yitzhak as a carbon, as a sacrifice? Why is that more relevant to our generation than all the Jews that sacrificed their own lives? Whether it be the Akedah of the Holy Jews, the ten people like Rabbi Akiva and his friends, or each and every generation has its own major abnegation and self-sacrifice that Jews put up. And especially, when it comes to Avram Avinu, what was so great that Abraham brought Yitzchak to the Akedah, God told him to do so. How would he say to God, no? So by doing it, he did it because God commanded him directly. If God commands directly to him, obviously he said yes. But look at the other people. Look at the people in the Holocaust. Look at people throughout the generations thereafter who didn't have God talk to them and say, I want you to be a sacrifice. I want you to do something for me. But they, because there is a command in the Torah that one must be holy and one must take their own, give their own life up for the name, for the sake of God, On their own reconnaissance did they do so. Let us therefore read about this every day. And you can't just tell me that Abraham had to sacrifice his child whereas Rabbi Akiva sacrificed himself. And therefore, it's so much more severe for a father, to God forbid, hurt their child. For a father, to God forbid, kill their child, than for a person to say, I am willing to die for the sake of God. Because in the many generations thereafter, the test that Hannah and her seven sons stood through, And she herself said, when Hannah was standing and let her children be killed rather than serve an idol worship. She said, Ata you, Avraham, you brought up on one Mizbeach. You brought up one child. I, said Hannah, brought up seven. And also at the time, al Rachmaneletzlan, where the Jews in the Inquisition were told to convert... There were many situations that Jews not only sacrificed themselves, but sacrificed their children and would not let their children, God forbid, do idol worship. And therefore, when we look at this phenomenon of Abraham sacrificing his son we need to know what is it that is so potent in this story that ultimately is the story of self-sacrifice that we all talk about, think about and mention and we don't refer to the other stories of self-sacrifice but only to this one The Balshemtov was the first teacher of Hasidus. The student of the Balshemtov that took over the baton was known as the Mezrichim Magid, the Magid of Mezrich. It was known that many people came to Mezrich to study under the Mezrichim Magid's tutelage, but not everybody entered the inner circles of the Baditsher. Not everybody was capable of accepting, not everybody was suited for these deep studies that he teached them. But many people who were told they're not capable, they're met many people who were told they're not fit to be students of the B'Shem still saw to it, that they stuck around still thought to it that they stayed in Mizrich. Why? What did they accomplish? They wanted to be of service. They wanted to be considered disciples and they are doing a service to the Maggid, to his students. These are B'nikis bin, The Ebenikis were the fireplace kindlers. Because they would go, they would light the fireplace. They would go and they would bring water, they would bring food. They were no Tamid HaChem, they were no sages. But they knew how important it was to honor a sage. And therefore these people were almost looked down upon. One student of the Mazit felt that it was very important to nurture and to encourage these stalkers, These fireplace kindlers. And that was Rabbi Shnei Zalman of Liadi, the Altarebbe. In order to show this He once reported a conversation that he overheard when he was studying under the Maggit. He had gone to bed, the Al and it was a little cold in the room. So, what would happen is the fireplace kindlers would come into the room of, the, of these students and they would light the fireplace came one day, and the Atarebu was lying in his bed. And he heard three of these people come inside. And the three came to light the fire. And one of them finally asked to the other two, What's so remarkable that our father Abraham prepared to slaughter his son Yitzchak. Everybody makes such a fuss over it. What's so special? Who wouldn't have done that if God Himself told you to do it? Look how many people throughout the ages sacrificed their lives in sanctification of God's name. Even though God never spoke to them, So they said to him, Okay, explain. You asked a question, you must have an answer, an explanation. And he said, this is the way I see it. It's not a great achievement for other Jews to act this way. Because from our generation today, we inherited that greatness that power to come upon ourselves and to take upon ourselves sacrifice to sanctify God's name, we got this as an inheritance from Abraham. However, Abraham himself, he was a son of Terach. For him to stand up to such a test, that's an accomplishment. When we look at this test, <laughs> We say it's not a test. God told him to do it. Because we are a generation who are descendants from the Holy Abraham. Our Holy Father Abraham installed in us, passed down to us, this belief, devotion, and dedication to God. So that we now have the power to do this mission. But Avraham Avinu did not have this. He did not get an inheritance from anyone because his father was Terach. He didn't teach him anything. The other two said, eh. Makes no sense. Because bottom line, God gave him the command. Who would not even, the son of Terach, would listen to God? Hey. Why would it all of a sudden be a shock that Abraham did this? If there's anything remarkable about Abraham, he says. It's the fact that he was the son of Terach. And not that he was the son of Terach and he believed in God and he went to bring his son for a sacrifice. But as the son of Terach, at the age of three, the young age of three, He already recognized and accepted God. Once he came to this recognition, then obviously he now recognizes God. He now respects, reveres, and follows God. So if God comes to him and tells him to do something, he's going to do it. So the fact that God told him to do this, to bring his son of Yitzchak on the altar, that wasn't so great. The greatness of Avraham was, at three years old, he began to recognize God. At three years old, he began to say, I have to follow God. And this foundation of belief that took place when he was three years old, is what ultimately gave him the strength to listen to God now as well. Second man therefore said, and therefore I propose an explanation. The wonder in Abraham's eagerness to act this way, we see that when Abraham Avinu was told to bring up the sacrifice of Yitzchak. He came the very next morning, and he saddled his donkey himself, and he journeyed to bring Yitzchak to the Hara Maria. He didn't get up late, he didn't oversleep, and he didn't say, I'll do it tomorrow or the day after. But immediately the next day, After all, knowing that he's going to kill his son, he should have spent some time now, quality time, bonding. But he didn't. God didn't say, I want you to take your son tomorrow. God didn't say, I want you to wake up early in the morning tomorrow and saddle your own donkey. But yet, that's what he did. The third man said, Eh. Also unimpressed. How so? I'm unimpressed because the fact is, God told him. If he was such a great believer, he would not have waited till the next morning, he would have done it right there, middle of the night. So what is the uniqueness of Abraham? Mm -hmm. That he had the obedience. And he said, the Torah itself indicates what really was remarkable here. The Pesach says, from me, These last two words, Mimani, they seem redundant until we realize that Tata is telling us after the episode of tying his son to the altar Abraham's joy was not so great until God told him that in saving your child from me he realized at that point he was fulfilling another mitzvah and the al said, says each one of these three people these fireplace stalkers kindlers reached and achieved that way in life This was their way of life. And that's why they translated it this way. (laughs) Someone said the other day that Abraham brought Isaac onto the altar. And he ties him down, and his 37-year-old son is lying there, face up with his neck extended, his throat extended. And the angel comes and says, No, 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 no. Al tishlach Do not send your hand to hurt this child. So Abraham says, Okay, I won't kill him. At least let me make him bleed. So I feel I did something. So God said, No. Al tass me um. Don't make any kind of wound. So he said, let me give him a little punch to make him a black and blue mark at least. He said, nothing doing. But he needed to do something to Yitzchak to show that he actually did something. So in the next week's pasha, we see what he did. He found Yitzchak, a wife. Ouch. Okay. He found a mother in law. Well, um, no, it was a lousy joke, actually. But that was, it was a joke. Self sacrifice. For a Jew to achieve self sacrifice, it's a big thing. For a Jew to to attain the level of self-sacrifice, whether you're a fire chief and you're giving up so many things by being a Jew, whether you're a non-religious Jew and you give up all the pleasures of quote-unquote worldly pleasures to become a religious Jew, or whether you're a man of stature But knowing that you did not have a bris, you see to it, to arrange, not at an eighth day anymore, at 20, at 30, at 40 years old, to have a bris. This is sacrifice, self-sacrifice of a Jew. Every Jew wants to reach such a level, such a moment, where he does or she does something that's true sacrifice for God the story is told of a king that went hunting with his posse, with his entourage and there was a wild boar running and the king was an expert horseman and he was in hot pursuit of this boar And he threw one sword, another, whatever, a spear, and he missed, and he missed a second time, and they kept running and running. He outran his entire entourage, as did the boar. And when the boar finally got away from him, in disappointment, he turned around to (coughs) at least hear some encouragement from his entourage, saying that you did as a valiant try. Much to his dismay, there was nobody there. He outran and lost his entire entourage. He knew he was in trouble. It was cold. There was snow on the ground. And he was all alone. The first thing he did was take off his coat and turn it inside out. The inside of the coat... He didn't look so royal, so regal. So nobody would necessarily realize that he was the king. Because now he has no guards with him. And began to ride around and ride around looking for a place to spend the night. And the cold started to settle. His legs were frozen, his hands were numb. He was pretty much in despair. And suddenly in the distance he saw a shed. That shed light. Ha-ha. And he approached the shed and he looked in the window. <coughs> and there sat a little old man, a Jew and his wife next to him on the bed sleeping. And the old man sat by the fire with some kind of book and he was reading he dismounted his horse and he knocked on the door and the man opened the door and said if you are a thief if you are a robber you came to the wrong house I have nothing for you to steal and the king did not identify himself but, said, but then he looked at the king and said well I don't know who you are or what you are but you look pretty cold and if you stay out there any longer you're going to freeze to death so come on in and he brought him in the house and he warmed him up some water he gave him some vodka he gave him a hot meal and he made him a bed of straw and he gave him to sleep near the fire the king thought out and the king slept late in the morning as the king usually does and as the king wanted to depart in the morning the king gave him a gold coin and the man refused it he says no, 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 no I was just being a nice guy I don't know who you are I'm not taking such an amount of money such an exorbitant amount of money for a little bit of hospitality and the king thanked him and he left a short while later, a day or so, the man gets a knock on his door. And he opens the door, and there stood a general the King's army in his full setup, get up, whatever you want to call it, in his big hat. <laughs> and the general, as he stands, he looks at the general, he sees behind the general. An entire entourage with the king's wagon, <coughs> and the general says to him, The king ordered that you come to his palace. Our poor woodchopper had no idea what the king could possibly want from him. But if the king summons, you have no choice. They said, Put on your best clothing, we're going. And so the Jew mounted the wagon and he was brought into the palace and there sat the king in all his royalty with his crown and his robe, etc. And the king addressed him and said, Eliezer, I have been watching you. I have been observing you. And I noticed that you are a very honest fellow. I was also very impressed with your wisdom. I have a proposition for you. I want to offer you a new home. Here on the palace gardens, on the the palace grounds. I'm going to offer you as many servants as you need. I will offer you an exorbitant amount of money, pay you by day. Every day you'll get, say, $1,000 a day. I want you to stay here as my advisor. Sounded good. This is a lot easier than shopping woods. Until the king said, one stipulation. I cannot have a Jew on my grounds. And therefore you would have to convert to become a Catholic. So what? You'll be comfortable the rest of your life. You won't lack anything in your life. You'll have everything you ever need. As long as you convert to Christianity. The Jew was very humbled, and he looked at the king and said, Your Majesty, I can't thank you enough for such a wonderful, amazing offer. But I'm afraid I will have to turn it down. I was born a Jew, raised a Jew, lived all my life as a Jew, and if I have to, I die as a Jew. I will never convert out of my religion. The king was furious. Such an offer. He was being offered hundreds of thousands of dollars. He was being offered a wonderful, beautiful palace. He was being offered servants. He would have everything he could ever think of needing him and his family. For one trivial thing, just to convert to Christianity. And you are refusing me? Are you making a mockery of me? Said the king. And the king was so angry. He clapped his hands three times. And out of nowhere appeared three henchmen. Covered head to toe in black. Black masks on their faces. And immediately one of the henchmen brought out a block and placed it in front of the Jew. The second henchman grabbed the Jew and smacked him down on top of the block, extending his neck, his throat. And the third one had the sword ready to decapitate to make this man a head shorter. The king said one more time, Don't make me do this to you. Please just accept it and convert it. I will treat you royal. You will have everything you ever need. And the Jew answered only one thing. Shema Yisrael Hashem elekenu Hashem Echad. Here, O Israel, God is one. God is our God. God is one. Implying that He was lying there Prepared to die, to sanctify the name of God. And as soon as he said that, he expected for his head to roll off his shoulders. He expected for the sword to come down and it would be over. But instead the king claps his hand, asked the gods to release him. This dead man is now standing in front of the king. For he's surely dead. They surely cut his head off. And the king started to smile and say, Tell me, do you not recognize me? And he looks at the king and he's trembling and says, No. And the king removes his crown, removes his royal robes. Everybody was in shock. The king never took off his crown. And he said, now do you recognize me? And the Jew fell to his feet. And said, Your Majesty, I'm so sorry. Had I known it was His Majesty, I would never have treated you so poorly in my house. And he said, no. You didn't treat me poorly, you treated me wonderfully. So then why why did the king do this to me? Why did you put me through such torture just now? said, so I'll tell you the truth. When I was young, when I was young, said the king, my father, the king, used to let me roam around his estates. They had a Jewish tailor in the estate. And the Jewish tailor used to teach his children very well. And when the Jewish tailor taught the child about the sacrifice of Yitzchak, the Akedah of Yitzchak, when the Jewish tailor taught his child how great this moment was that a Jew was ready to die for the sake of God, and he explained to his child the importance and the severity Of a Jew being prepared to die for Judaism. I thought to myself. Money you don't like. I offered you a gold coin. You refused me. But what Jew. Would not like to say Shema Yisrael. With a sword hanging over his neck. What Jew would not like to be prepared to die for the sake and the name of God. This, I knew, would be a tremendous honor for you. This, I knew, would be something that meant a lot to you. But I didn't want to kill you. But I did want you to reach that level. That was the reason for this whole shenanigans. Lying on that block of wood... You are prepared to die for the sake in the name of God. This, my friend, in your Torah, in your religion, is the highest level a Jew can attain. And therefore I only wanted to help you reach that level. So that you should feel how great it was. So you should get something that you all your life yearned for, since money was not the other thing you yearned for. Parsha begins as we said before. Why did God appear to Avram? Rashi explains, "Since God recommended he does the circumcision, therefore he came to reveal Himself to him." We know there's a generalization. The beginning and the end of any given Jewish subject has to be bound together. in the beginning of the it says Va Hashem, God appears to him and the Pasha ends off the name of the different children and the s is the last word of the parsha. the beginning of our portion of Torah tells us, Of the revelation of God to Avram Avinu. He reveals himself because of the brismila that he went through. But this revelation (coughs) was not only to Avram, as he was at such a high level for himself, it was in (laughs) Eloine Mamre, an entire settlement. A place which was Shaykh, which was connected, which belonged to the Mamre of Ameiri. Why? Ushenosin le Eta al gave him the idea of Midah. We know, therefore, since God had this tither, as Dalt Rebbe writes in Tanya, in the 36th Parikh, God had a yearning to make a dwelling place here on this world. And therefore the Mila of Avram was a revelation through this that comes in a way that a physical creation becomes connected to God. And this physical being is in a place where there's no Jews so too in the future, when Mashiach will come, not only B'nai Yisrael will serve God, but Yisraq and Yisraelim Kulei, The Rambam Maimonides tells us that the entire world will serve God. This is therefore the connection with the end of the Pasha. Ma'acho is an acronym he rules on the entire world and therefore the ruling of God is not within boundaries with Avram and his children alone but rather this is something for for the entire world to know for Jew and non Jew alike, for the non Jew to keep the seven Noahide laws, and for the Jew the 613 mitzvahs. And therefore, we will ultimately come to the days of Mashiach. Tonight, we will have Macho, Malaych, Al, Kol, and Hashem, Kamayim, La <laughs> And the Almighty will reveal Himself and fill the entire world. And every living creature will find its reason, will find why it was created, how it has to serve God, and how peace, tranquility and serenity will rule the world. And therefore, we want to bless, as we dedicated tonight, to Liba Bas We want to bless her with long life, with peace, tranquility, serenity, longevity, with everything that she wishes upon herself. And that it should be also transmitted to her children, to her daughters, to her sons, sons sons-in-law, daughters-in-law. And may the merit of her strength, of her power, Bring her through and carry her through all the trials and tribulations. And bring us through, as we will learn from her, how to behave as good Jews. Shabbat Shalom to all.